There are miracles like the one we looked at last week where God displays his power over demons, which are simply created supernatural beings that have gone bad. God demonstrates his power in miracles of healing, like we're going to look at today. And then there are miracles of providence, like we looked at a couple of weeks ago, in which God took a, a widow and multiplied over uh, out of one jar of oil and filled several large containers, enough to pay off all of her debts and have enough left to cook with. Uh, we have a powerful, powerful Savior. And in all of Scripture... You can always count on this. When God performs a miracle, there is a greater purpose behind it than just a, 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 a magic show of sorts. There is purpose behind it. When God chooses to help the blind to see or the deaf to hear or he causes the dead to, to rise to life or he walks on water or he speaks through an animal or whatever God chooses to do, causes an animal to speak audibly, whatever God chooses to do, there is more purpose behind it than just the spectacular show of power. So always look for God's bigger picture. That's our bottom line today. What is God's bigger picture in the miracle that he wants to perform in your life? Because the same God who did all of the miraculous things that we read about in Scripture that I believe really actually happened, the same God that can do that is the same God who can use his power in our lives today. In John chapter 9, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy chapter, and it's quite involved, but I think we can get enough out of these first 12 verses to really help us uh, put into practice God's power in our lives. First of all, start considering yourself God's object lessons and shine. You are God's object lesson to display his power, shine. Verses 1 through 3 says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or was it his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered his disciples. He said it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, immediately the disciples were wanting to know the cause. And we do that today. It's human nature. Whenever something goes wrong or there's some kind of suffering or there's some kind of disappointment in life, we go looking for the cause of it. Jesus had had a significant confrontation in chapter 8 with the Pharisees. He had taught them that he is the light of the world. And he had said some things in his teaching in chapter 8 that were considered blasphemous by them. Some claims that he was making uh, to, to be God in the flesh. And this got the Pharisees on edge. He said that he was, they said to him that you're actually the son of the devil. They accused him of having the devil as his father. And he came back with a claim to have existed before their father Abraham. You talk about drawing a line in the sand. Talk about picking a fight. <laughs> Jesus has reached this point in his, his ministry in which he's beginning to declare who he is and wants everybody to know it, and the Pharisees are outraged. And so here comes chapter 9, and he decides he's going to display God's power through this man born blind. And it was a dramatic object lesson. 
It was no psychosomatic kind of healing where the guy just kind of felt like he was rejuvenated in some special way. No, this is a man who had been blind his entire life. And every day he would come to the, the door of the temple where people, God's people are coming to worship to beg. This was his whole life. It was all that he knew. It was his only source of income. He had never, ever seen color. He had never, ever seen the faces of the people with whom he was the closest. He was blind from birth. I don't know what that's like. I can't imagine what it's like to have never seen a sunrise or a sunset. To hear voices of people and be able to recognize them but not have a face to go with them. Maybe you're like me. If you listen to a radio personality over a length of time, we kind of assign some sort of a look, physical look, to the person with whom we're listening to, right? And then you see them for the first time. They never look like we created them in our minds to look. I guess a person born blind does this with everyone. They decide what their family members must look like. With people with whom they're the closest, I suppose they might touch and feel and kind of get an idea of, of the shape of their faces and the texture of their hair and so forth. But to have never seen them. I knew a radio personality one time and and I, I heard somebody tell him on stage one time, said, you have a face for radio. <laughs> it's kind of a painful compliment. <laughs> In our humanness, though, we do. We seek a, a cause for things that aren't perfect. Someone must have blown it big time. The belief that all suffering was the direct result of sin was very common uh, during the time that Jesus performed this miracle, so much so that even his closest followers, his disciples, immediately jumped to that conclusion. They're there, they're outside the temple at the gate, and they're at the door, and there sits this man begging, jingling the change in his cup, hoping that somebody else will give him a gift, and they ask the question, Lord, Master, who was it that sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? There was even the belief that an unborn child could sin in his or her mother's womb and be born with some sort of physical punishment for that sin. Can you imagine? As if it wasn't bad enough to be born with some sort of limitation, something that made you so different, something debilitating in which you could not earn a living, have a family, or even provide for a family if you had one, but have everybody look at you and wonder, wonder what he did to cause this. And maybe even he himself, this blind man, had wondered, wonder what I did. What I sinned against God that I should be born blind. I wonder if in bitterness, understandably so, there were days in which he wondered, maybe it wasn't me. Maybe it was my parents. What did they do that I should be born blind? Or a deaf person may have wondered that I should be born deaf. Somebody missing a limb that I should be born this way. Who caused this to happen to me? In addition to having the affliction, there's this ongoing guilt or the seek for a cause. Satan still lies to people today. He whispers in, in people's ears, I wonder what you did to be in the predicament that you are in. 
Some people spend their entire lives wallowing in self-pity or unnecessary guilt rather than looking for the good that God can bring out of their difficult circumstances. And sometimes we need to focus more on what God can do through our weaknesses than to dwell on the causes or fantasize about how things might be different if we could just go backwards in time and change whatever it is we must have done wrong. I encourage you, to focus on the future glory that you could bring to Jesus and shine. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is in weakness that he is made strong. If your life was perfect and you had everything uh, just handed to you always, never sick, never tired, never financially strapped, never unemployed, never disappointed by loved ones, never falsely accused, never getting a bad grade or an annual job performance review, never getting older, never facing death, just happiness and health all the time. What power would you have to shine for God and for him to get any credit out of it if life was always health and wealth? Um, Multiply it out. What if everyone was in the same boat of health and wealth? If we were only healthy and wealthy and everybody we knew was only healthy and wealthy and we never got older and we never got sick and we never got poor and we never went without and we were always happy and healthy, there would never be an opportunity to serve one another. Don't don't we bond closer uh, to one another when we get to serve one another? during times of need than when we just get to show off our successes and our blessings. It is so helpful when someone else is transparent and shares their weakness, isn't it? And we actually, if we think about it, we admire people more when they are honest about those weaknesses than when they just say, oh, I never have any problems. I'm always healthy, wealthy, and happy and never have any temptations and everything just goes my way all the time. We're like, we don't like those people. (laughs) But the person that says, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with lust. The guy that says that in a men's meeting, every man around that circle says, I'm not the only one. When someone says, you know, sometimes I overspend, sometimes I over or I undereat, sometimes we have trouble raising our children, even though they're good kids and we've done our best to raise them, we still have this ongoing issue that we deal with, and another parent sitting there is thinking to themselves, you mean I'm not the only one? There is power in weakness, and that power is Jesus. Because when we are weak, he is strong. Uh, If you truly want to be loved by others, don't seek to be envied by them. (laughs) I heard about a man who was granted three wishes. And the only condition on these three wishes was that he was told, whatever you wish for, just understand, not only will it be granted to you, but your brother will get twice what you receive. That didn't sound like too big of of an obstacle for such a wonderful opportunity as these three wishes. And so for the first thing he wished, he wished for a Corvette, a bright, shiny, red Corvette. Poof, there it was. And he found himself sitting in that red Corvette convertible with the leather steering wheel, rubbing his fingers across it and looking at all of the instrument panel. And then he looked across the street and he saw his brother getting into his brand new Lamborghini. (laughs) And the green 
eyed monster took over within him, and he was incredibly jealous of his brother. And so he was ready to make his second wish. He said, for my second wish, I would like to have a million-dollar home. And poof, just like that, a million-dollar home. And he found himself walking through his house, his new million-dollar home, room after room after room, and all the special amenities, so much better than the humble starter home in which he had lived in prior to that. And it was wonderful till he got to the living room and looked through the window across the street to his brother's $2 million mansion. <laughs> oh, he was so jealous over that. And in anger and in bitterness, he said he was ready for his third wish. He said, I want to be beaten half to death. <laughs> Two halves make a whole. <laughs> we, we envy people that have more than us, but we don't like them. You don't strive to be that person. Strive to be, strive to be the person who is transparent in your weakness and tell of the story that Jesus does in your life, that even though you are weak, he is strong, and there is power in that because he is the power. The next thing I get from this story is to be reminded you are not only God's object lesson and should shine, but you are God's mirror and you should reflect. Reflect his glory right off of you. When you get the attention, shine it on, shine it his glory so everybody else can see it. John 9, 4 through 5 says, We must work the works of him who sent me, this is Jesus talking, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus had the challenge of displaying his supernatural power to prove his authority while at the same time preparing his disciples for his soon-to-be departure. Jesus was only here on the earth in the flesh for like 33 years. And really, it's just in those last three years of his life that he has this public ministry in which he begins to perform some miracles and to form his, his disciples and to, to get the church ready to be launched. And the whole time he knows the cross is coming. And he has to be strategic in the way in which he performs these miracles that he doesn't get out ahead of himself and, and get too public too fast and, and be snuffed out before everything's in place. And, and sometimes when he heals someone or he performs a miracle, he'll say, now don't tell anyone about this. Go about your way. Keep it quiet. And he'd say, because his time had not yet come. But as he gets closer to the cross, he'll say, go show yourself to the priest. Go tell everyone that you can. Tell everybody that you see that the, that the blind can see and the deaf can hear and the lame can walk and the dead are raised to new life. And certainly, by the time we get to this point in the miracle, he is in the face of the, the Pharisees. Jesus' ministry was about more than just solving all of our physical difficulties. Everything was aiming toward the eternal and the spiritual. I read for you Matthew 5.16 just a few seconds ago. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. The two preceding verses say this. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The physical healing 
was a big deal to the blind man. You can bet on that. Uh, he probably didn't even know how to get home. <laughs> I think it's Max Ocado I heard describe this man's journey home after he had been healed by Jesus and, and could see for the first time that he probably had to close his eyes in order to get home because he didn't know the way using his physical eyesight. He was so used to hearing and feeling uh, his way home. He had to figure out, oh, that's the face that goes with that voice. It totally changed his life on earth physically, but it was so much more, a bigger picture, a bigger significance than just that man for the next 30 or 40 years getting to be able to see and have a family and earn a living. It was pointing towards being able to spiritually see, to have his spiritual eyes open and to see the kingdom of God and to get in on it and be a part of it. This morning, it's not so much important to know how's your physical eyesight if you were to go see the optometrist as much as it is to know how is your spiritual eyesight. Is there a fogginess? Are you farsighted or nearsighted? Are you only looking at the here and now and not looking into God's bigger picture of what he can do in your life? I mean, are you nearsighted or are you farsighted in which you're keeping everything out into the future so much that you're really not serving the Lord yet and you're just kind of existing? You see, when, when we are called to be in the kingdom of God and to serve the Lord, he's calling us right now. And there is no good reason to not obey Jesus ever. And that brings us to the third thing, and that is, you are God's follower, obey him. Shine, reflect, obey. Verses 6 through 7 says, Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing. <laughs> Man, that's simple, isn't it? He went, he washed, he came back seeing, period. I like it that it's simple. O obedience is simple. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> Not so much what's the least I have to do and still be saved. We don't try to figure out what's an optional afterthought to obeying God. When you fully surrender to Jesus, you belong to him. And if he said it, you do it. So many people delay. They say, well, I just don't, I'm waiting to, to, the, to the right moment to follow through. I just don't feel it yet. You don't feel it yet. Uh, now's the time to obey Jesus. It was a common practice back in this time period uh, to actually mix clay and saliva and to put it in a person's eyes to heal them of eye infections. It's interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the miracle worker, weaves into his miraculous power some of the earthly medical methods of their time period. He's working through what they know, what they understand, but he is the power behind the miracle. And sometimes he works through nature, but he is the reason for the healing. He is the miracle worker. I heard a preacher say once that if, if this miracle were to have happened today, we'd have three new denominations spring up, the Spittites, the Mudites, and the Washites. <laughs> because we want to know, right? What's, what gave this man his sight? Was it the clay and the spittle? Was it 
the, the pool of Siloam, the water that did it? Was it his, his act of obedience? That was, it was the power of God that restored his vision. Amen? It wasn't anything that he did or didn't do, but it happened in the midst of his obedience. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about something very similar, and I talked about that action step that almost every miracle in the Bible has where God, who doesn't need us to really do anything for his power to work, gives us the opportunity to express our faith in action ahead of his power. I'm not going to go through that list of examples that I gave a couple of weeks ago, but you check it out in Scripture, and he almost always gives us some outer way to express our faith. And in the midst of doing it, he turns around and he does what he does, what he can only uh, do to perform his miracles and his power. Um, The name of the pool, Siloam, the meaning is sent. John, in his gospel, is, is led to tell us the meaning of, of the name. I mean, sometimes I only know the meanings of the names of, of uh, geographic places in the Bible because I look it up. But here John just goes ahead and he tells us. The Pool of Siloam, which means sent, because there's a significance here to this, this name. Jesus is telling the Pharisees through this object lesson that he is the Son of God sent to the earth, the promised Messiah, the Christ has come, and he is him. He is the one who sent. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave or he sent his Son that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his Son while we were still sinners. Jesus was sent. And what he's telling this blind man in John 9 to do is to go. He sent him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And I'd say there's an even deeper meaning for you and me today, and that is is that the word sent applies to us, doesn't it? I mean, if you've signed up to be a part of his kingdom, if you've bowed the knee, if you've confessed your faith, if you've stated up front, yes, I do believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God, and that he is the only Savior of man, and I have accepted him as the Lord, the Master, the boss of every area of my life. And if you have repented, which means you no longer belong to you, but you belong to him, and if you have allowed someone else to baptize you as an outward expression of the inner decision that you have that you have been saved by the blood of Christ, you don't belong to you anymore. <laughs> you belong to him, and you've been sent. And as such, uh, we are his servants. Someone has said that an impression without an expression leads to depression, and God's always giving us those expressions Throughout the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, you will read of conversion after conversion after conversion. And in all of them, the people who believe that Jesus is who he said he is decided to follow him and make that decision known to others were baptized into Christ at the time of their decision. The only person who didn't was Paul himself because it took him three days to get to Ananias in order to be baptized. But the, the response, the obedience, the full surrender was immediate. Why wait? Why delay? The Ethiopian in chapter 8 was baptized between Jerusalem and his way home because he saw a body of water and he himself was the one that says, stop the chariot. <laughs> Look, right there's water. Why shouldn't I do this right now? And some of those later manuscripts have it that uh, Philip said, well, if you believe, you may. (laughs) 
He said, oh, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They stop the chariot. He takes him. He baptizes him. The Spirit of the Lord snatches him away, Philip, that is, and the Ethiopian sees him no more, but he goes on his way rejoicing. That's what surrender looks like. No silly questions about, what if a camel runs over my chariot between here and home? Am I saved or not saved? No, he didn't ask those questions. He said, if I'm surrender, why should I delay? What prevents me from being obedient to everything that Jesus commanded me to do? There is a God, and I'm not him. (laughs) And if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it for the sheer purpose and reason that he told me to do it. That's what surrender looks, looks like. And following God's command, if following God's command is an optional afterthought on our parts, then it's not obedience at all. If God says to do it, then you be obedient and you act. Finally, you're God's messenger. Tell the story. Tell the story. That's been a common theme in my research for these miracles, is that people have a story to tell. What's your story? What's Jesus done in your life that has given you a platform, a story in which to tell of his greatness? John 9, 8 through 12 says this, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, Oh, it is he. But others said, No. But he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. (laughs) So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, And said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. In the following verses, (laughs) there's this, this great interrogation that goes on. The Pharisees are outraged. Jesus has performed a miracle on the Sabbath. He's not kept the Sabbath. He's broken the rule. How can a man of God perform this miracle If he's a sinner, they wanted to know. So they bring the guy in, and they ask him the questions. He said, yeah, I'm the guy. And and his testimony is so simple. He doesn't need to add to it. He doesn't need to alter it. He doesn't need to pretend to know more than he actually knows. He doesn't necessarily know the Hebrew words or the Greek words for everything in order to explain it. He may not even know how to spell Habakkuk. I don't know. But all he knows is, look, I once was blind, and now I see. Well, who do you believe that he was? He goes, I don't a prophet. Later on, they bring his parents in, and they interrogate his parents. They say, was this your son, the one who was born blind? Yes. He's been blind since birth? Yes. And now he can see? Yes. Who did this for him, and how did he do it? (laughs) If you know the story, these are not the best of parents, right? They go, oh, he's of age, ask him. (laughs) Because that already rule had gone out that if you back Jesus, you will be kicked out of the synagogue. So you need to deny that he is a man of God or you're getting kicked out. And so they plead the fifth. Hey, look, all I know is, you know, he was our son. He was born blind and now he can see. Go ask him. (laughs) And so they bring the guy in a second time and they ask him the same questions all over again. And this time he gets a little bit, um, I guess cocky is the right word, because they ask him the same questions and he goes, you've already asked me these questions before. Why are you asking me them again? Are you wanting to become one of his disciples? (laughs) They're outraged. We follow Abraham and Moses. They just, you know, they just got to go off on, on him. In verse 25, he says, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
I once was blind, but now I see. In the words of that great hymn writer, I was lost, but now I'm found. That's amazing grace. Um, he had come a long way from being, having this miracle performed. And the rule that was stated, if you're going to back Jesus, you're out of the synagogue. They threw him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard about it. The two of them have an encounter, and he realizes who Jesus is. And Jesus acknowledges that he is, in fact, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of man. And, and, and this guy, this blind man, is given the opportunity to worship Jesus in person. His spiritual eyes were opened. And that was the greater miracle. That was the bigger picture of what God wanted to do. When you face a weakness in life, or even a positive, always look for the bigger picture. Don't ask so much, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? And so forth. Instead, say what? What is Jesus wanting to do through this? How might I be his object lesson and shine? How can I reflect his glory that others might believe? How can I obey him right now? And how can I tell others about it? That's what the man in this story did. And that's my message for us today. That just like him, our spiritual eyes might be open in a fresh way that we can see clearly and we can tell everybody about Jesus, our Savior. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for allowing us to be here today and to praise your name. God, during this time of singing, I pray that you'd have your way, that your Holy Spirit, God, would, would uh, convict those that need to surrender to you, maybe for the first time, to be born again into you. For those who have grown stale in their faith, God, that you would bring them back. For those that have fallen away, that you would restore them. God, for, for all of us today, that we might look for that next step, that your power would be seen in our lives and your glory would be reflected so that everybody can see it and come to know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, we pray that you have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.